Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today in the show, Jolyn starts an alpaca farm. We talk return to work and Christina D'Alessandro, New Hampshire Director of Moms Rising, joins us. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. Dot nhcf.org. Hello, Hello and welcome, welcome to, the to the show. You know what? You go. Oh, I will. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Jolyn Drennan and I am thrilled to be here with my co-host, Nathan Fink. It actually does feel good to be introduced. Could you do it just one more, like real quick, just one more little, let me get the music and... <sighs> no. So it is summertime. It's 900 degrees and I'm assuming Wiley is now out of school. Uh, how's the transition going for your family? Um, well, it was, it's, uh, it's off to a little bit of a rocky start um, because, I mean, he's excited to be out of school. His last day was Friday. But I thought that when I was like scheduling camps and childcare for the summer that I had childcare for this week, but I do not. It doesn't start until next week. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it was like, because I was all like, oh, we're all set. Like, don't worry. He's going to... To, you know, ninja camp or whatever. And, and I was like telling everybody and then I went to go check and see what it was that, you know, if I need to bring lunch or whatever. And then I realized that um, it doesn't start until next week. So Loic at soccer camp. Uh, Winnie is starting at a little camp as well, but it's like just trying to feel my way, what it means to release him back into the wild and myself. Like, what does that mean for me now? Because we've been, what, 15 months later. Yeah, it's going to be liberating as much as you're, you may be a little nervous about that transition back in. It's going to be like, oh, thank God. What did you have to do? How's your schedule look then to make accommodate that? And it, it's a tiny, easy to do oversight. So we're just kind of doing this like trapeze act of, uh, okay, I'm going to work these hours and then my, and then I'm going to come home. So like today I have to leave at two so I can go home and take over so my husband can go to work because um, he, you know, he works um, like three nights a week and, and then we'll just figure it out. We're doing those like, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Whatever I can work from home, I'll I'll do that. If there's anything we learned though is that we can figure it out over the last 15 months. But then you layer on top of that the dreaded return to work memo that I'm sure everybody is getting right now. And to be honest, uh, you know, I feel lucky that I am employed and was employed through the pandemic. And the other part of it is, you know, thinking about the 15 months that we had spent scrambling so to juggle our life. And you have to condense everything that you had to do into a very quick turnaround. And for me, that's impossible because we basically backed up to say a new life now. How is Tom handling that? Because I know he's an air traffic controller. So they went right back to their normal schedule, but they did transition because they were like 10 days off, five days on. And then they went back, um, they like upped it. They went five days on, five days off. And now they're back to their regular schedule. Um, And so, but they just, they went right back. So I really just wanted him to get out of the house. Just go, <laughs> go back to work. Oh, Tom, I hear he bought a tractor and 
and I can't imagine that that's a good thing during a pandemic. You should see the yard. Corn, you have squash. Also, alpaca in the suburbs, it just says something about you and your relationship to your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Anyway, though, psychologically, this is the thing I think, though, that I am uh, struggling with or thinking about or as a family we're approaching. It is making a psychological impact. There was a fluidity that we had to have and returning to rigidity is messing with us. I think that as much as, um, you know, agencies and and companies try to bring people back, you know, I I just think that, that there has been a cultural shift and people are realizing what is important to them that, you know what, you for the most part, if you work in, if you have like an office environment that you can pretty much do your job from home and be and have that flexibility and people are happier, you know, they're happier when they're supported. And when people are happy, then they work harder for you. Mm-hmm. So the smartest agencies and companies are the ones that are going to kind of leverage the efficiencies that came out of this, you know, and they're going to use Zoom and they're going to, I guess we could call it social norms change that happens because now we've shown that that we can, we can still function that to go back, it's like, what's the reason? I wonder that too. It's, it's, it's a harkens back to a different era. And it, you know, like you were saying, leverage efficiencies, understand that the family support aspect is so critical. And I'm wondering now how investment is going to change in the public sector, in the private sector, and in, you know, in and around tech because of those efficiencies. And I, I don't know if, if, if Tom had felt that as well, because, you know, his industry is highly regulated. Oh, how excellent. So they work in crews. And so, um, a lot of times they will, they'll like stack the crews. So there's only maybe like seven people on position at a time, but they'll have like 14 people so that there's always like a, a break rotation. But if there's, so if there's like an excess and someone needs to leave, they're allowing it. It's, it's more, you know, cause he's come home some days like, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you here? <laughs> Why yeah. are you here again? Go, yeah. home. go back to work. You guys have a great relationship. <laughs> I mean, I don't envy, I don't envy many couples, but when I hear... <laughs> it's like, it is like a Romeo and Juliet. Yes. It's right at, is it right at the end? Didn't they both stab each other? I, like, you don't understand. This is like, you get into this groove of never seeing each other because of the nature of his work. And then all of a sudden he's back for mm-hmm. a year and a half, let's say, um, of, and just like always there, which was great at first. I was like, hey, we get to spend so much time together. Actually, I bet if we go back to episode one of this podcast, oh. you'll hear me saying... Wow. Wow. Something to the effect of. Yeah. I do remember a couple's fight and I think it was an over, over a router or a like password. Was, I feel like that was like episode three. You remember you have a kid together. You've got these alpacas. <laughs> yeah. The alpaca. We can't, we stay together for the alpacas. Who's going to take the alpacas? Right. That's, I feel like that would be a you. So anyway, I, I, I think, you know, obviously this is, it's, it's one challenge after the next. Thankfully we're in an era of good challenges because obviously things are lightning. Um, so thank you so much for coming back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And when we come back, I'll be joined by Christina D'Alessandro, New Hampshire director at Moms Rising. Don't go anywhere. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement, and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. 
Today's show was also brought to you by the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy and Protection Program, a multidisciplinary program with the Children's Hospital established to evaluate and provide integrative care to suspected victims of child maltreatment. Together, a team of physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists work to provide consultation and evaluations of children who are suspected victims of abuse, so to serve in the best interest of children and families at multiple levels of prevention. For more information about Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy Protection Program, visit www.chadkids.org backslash child advocacy. I'm pleased to welcome Christina D'Alessandro, New Hampshire Director at Moms Rising. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. A couple months back, I was able to watch you and your organization doing a lot of different organizing around uh, the biennium budget in response to the family support funding that was cut. But for those listeners that we have that don't know about Moms Rising and why it's so critical, can you describe some of the work that you do and why it's important to the families across the state? Sure. We're a multi-issue organization at Moms Rising, and we work both across the federal and the state levels. So I think both of those things are equally important. Number one, being a multi-issue organization, it does really align with a lot of the work that family resource centers and a lot of the groups we advocate on behalf of do, because families don't come to you with one discrete challenge. They often are an interrelated web of different things, but at different points in your lives, you may experience challenges with housing, challenges with food insecurity, or a need for a paid family and medical leave. So we think it's really important to see people as multi-issue people, as opposed to just a single sort of point. We also do our work both at the federal level, which is often so required and so necessary for the funding that we see at the state level. So we feel like we need to make the case to get additional and increased federal funding into New Hampshire and then work with New Hampshire electeds and nonprofits to ensure that families are included in the decisions that they make around that funding. So how do you identify some of the areas um, that you engage in where you can impact policies? Well, I think a key part for any organization like mine, which is we have sort of a national presence and then a very discreet New Hampshire presence. The first thing we do is we look at the landscape and try to assess who is working in this issue because we're all about lifting up the efforts of others and not duplicating, you know, for the sake of duplicating. We see the value add that we bring in is that real contact directly with families and the perspective of families. So we will often go out and find a group that might be doing some amazing innovations, maybe in regard to a response around finding affordable childcare. And what we'll try to do is encourage them to speak to families in an authentic and long-term way, really building a relationship with families so that the responses that we're developing are in line with what families want and need. And I think that's a critical part for Moms Rising. So we really see ourselves as, although we go across multiple issues, what we keep completely central is the voice and the need to both include families in the decisions you make about their lives, to include their voices as we evaluate a policy response, because the way we're going to know something works There is a lot of data that's going to indicate that, but we really want to ensure the voices and stories of families are put front and center. And we also think that strategy of elevating and lifting up family voice is extremely important as we try to influence policy. Because I think for some of our lawmakers, you can start to see this as a question of economics alone. And we can see it as ones and zeros. But the thing is, it's got to be about more than that. And we've got to remember that all of these policy decisions 
directly impact the lives of families. And with Moms Rising, we particularly focus on mothers, though we are we do allow anyone who has a mother, who loves a mother, or has any relationship with a mother to be part of our tent. But we really feel that those policies that lift up moms fundamentally will lift up families. So you're talking about the elevation then of the voice and stories of families. What does that elevation look like, practically speaking? Because that's sometimes the disconnect between, say, ones and zeros, where you're looking at a budget negotiation and it feels like it's a conversation with a spreadsheet. How do you then insert humanity, family, and voice into that conversation so that people can hear it? Well, I think that there's a lot of ways to do that, because one of the things we need to understand about families is this, we cannot put an additional burden on some of our families that are struggling the most to survive. So with Moms Rising, we look at it as creating a ladder or a space for you to engage, which we can meet you where you're at. We're going to look and frame an issue. We're going to get informed by our parents. And we have both an email list and we spend a lot of time in the community, myself and my colleague, really trying to engage with families. And we monitor things like Facebook groups and listservs. And we talk to our partners. But when it comes down to maybe we see a policy that's coming forward. And the great thing about this policy is it could have an absolutely tremendous impact for families. What we'll often do is try to then, first of all, inform families that this policy is changing, get their input, but we'll allow them to give their input in a way that gives them power and in a way that we as stewards of their story really understand the responsibility that we're given. So we will ask people, do you want to submit a comment? Like maybe through our email list. We often work a lot with people on texts. There are some people who say, I absolutely really want to say more about this. So we offer often to work with individuals one-on-one to maybe write up a story. We'll support them if they want to testify. Um, In testifying can be really intimidating, but we have a citizen legislature and this is your house. And that's what we consistently tell our our folks. But a lot of our folks can't get the time off or can't get childcare to come up. So another thing we'll offer to do is work with their story, make sure that they feel the story represents what they want to say, and then we'll bring those stories up to Concord. And as we have our meetings with lawmakers or those who might influence policy, we're going to consistently share those stories, both in like a physical form, but reference them on an ongoing basis. And we know they are rooted in the lived experience of our members. We also look at, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity of a podcast like this. Um, I think they're amazing because they really allow you to speak in your authentic voice. We also look for people to give us video. Um, you want to post something on Instagram. I think it's about really finding sort of in that wide range of opportunities, what makes sense for an individual And we always want to support them because we also know things that occur in the media, stories with reporters can have a significant influence on policy. But as an organization, we want to make sure our people feel supported so that they understand that they have control over how that story is told. They have control over if and when they tell that story, because the story, as we say, can change policy. It can bring power to an individual. But some of the issues we work on are deeply upsetting and troubling. Sometimes we're asking you to relive the most difficult part of your life. So we also want to acknowledge that and ensure you not only feel supported, but that you feel empowered to be able to say, I can't tell that story today, or I don't feel comfortable telling the story in that situation. And we're going to provide other ways if you want that to make sure your story is heard, maybe your anonymity is protected and continuing to have a relationship such that we steward that story to, into a position where it can influence policy 
and where the person telling that story is comfortable. Now, you mentioned a lot of areas and a lot of things that you're engaged with. Are there things on the horizon that we need to be aware of as in terms of opportunities coming down the pike? We just went through a huge transitional phase in our culture, you know, in this last 15 months or so. And we, you know, obviously people are returning back to work. We're looking for childcare. We're looking for all of these things now in a way that feels like we haven't before. What's out there policy-wise that can be influenced by people's experience and story? I mean, I think you highlight sort of this really critical thing because we're looking at the world now post-pandemic and what that has meant for sort of many moms um, and certainly many women who are employed has been a huge exodus from the workforce to provide care. As we come back to what is what we're calling normal, but I'm really curious to see what is going to be the new normal. We have to both look at what do we need to do to support those women and those families as they return to the workforce? Well, we equally hold up. What does that workforce now look like? If there were jobs that were looking at remote work and maybe were reticent after what we've been through, a lot of that is to the side. However, one of the key messages we feel like we need to get across is if women or, fa- or men who are fathers work from home, that does not negate the need for childcare. That might change the need for childcare. That might change the type of support you need, but that does not mean, oh, now I can actually do my job and care for my children. Because that's a situation where everyone loses. The business loses and the employee is far less productive. The parents are incredibly stressed as they try to be, you know, both good parents, sort of good playmates, good tutors at some time, and the children are left behind. So we really need to think about what this new world looks like and how we change that. So we're at a funny time. We have unprecedented amount of money coming into the state to support some of that change. Absolutely, and very much the New Hampshire way, we need to be strategic. We need to be clear about how we use this. But in a lot of the spaces where Moms Rising works, in areas like childcare and family sports, um, this money could be absolutely transformative. And we are likely to see in the new budget coming out of Congress, increased funding for the long term. We are not going to have money at the levels we have it now, but we are certainly going to have more than we've ever had before. So we need to look at the state level of saying, how do we build up structures and infrastructure that supports that and that best supports families? Because a few things came out of the pandemic. Work changed. We saw the fragility of some sectors. Um, And we also, I think, saw a number of people find their voice in saying, I actually want my work-life balance to look a little more like this. So with this opportunity and this federal investment, we have such an, an amazing opportunity that I am both thrilled for and terrified that we will not take full advantage of because I don't think we'll see this money again in my lifetime. And the funny thing is, as an advocate, we have to hold supporting what is happening at the state level alongside making sure we get this additional substantial investment over the finish line. And this summer is going to be critical for that. And that's why organizations like mine, as well as a lot of our partners, are going to spend a lot of time really trying to cultivate stories, encourage those who are interested in undertaking any kind of advocacy to reach out to their delegation, to speak to media, to get their story told, because we think we're in a critical point of influence on both the state level and the federal level. I'm so glad you said that because it's is kind of a strategy and you're looking for footings that you can build upon so for towards sustainability. In those conversations when developing something like that policy-wise, 
who's part of those discussions? Because sometimes it feels like you have a lot of organizations at a lot of tables and a lot of influence and then the doors close. Once we say our piece, the doors close and then it's unveiled. Is there a way or are organizations like yours at the table when planning or is there a way to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard, right? Because I look at our state is we generally like to operate in a very lean fashion. And that means things like consultation can be harder when there are fewer people sort of sitting in the chairs that are making the decisions. I say I'm an eternal optimist, Nathan, one thing I'll put out there. And I believe we are all working towards the same goal. I do think the more I work with parents and families and with designing programs that really give an authentic voice to them, one of the challenges is that takes an incredible amount of time. When we think about why, how to get the folks who are most impacted at the table, you have to build a lot of trust. You have to support them in that engagement. And those are the most important voices, but those are the voices who traditionally have been let down the most. So we're, so here we are. We have this incredible amount of money and need to move it quickly because we certainly see there's a lot of places I hear from parents every day who cannot find affordable child care, who need short-term support to get back, certainly around getting kids back and ready for school in the fall. We need to find and we need to continue to advocate to effectively balance getting those voices to have real influence on the process and working with those who are already there. And there are a number of advocates, Moms Rising often is able to sit at these tables from which we're very grateful. There's, um, you know, Family Support New Hampshire, the work of the Children's Trust. There are a lot of folks that are sitting at these tables. The challenge for a lot of folks is a lot of these individuals are also responsible for moving the dollars. So then again, you have a challenge for them, which kind of puts Moms Rising and some organizations like New Futures in a somewhat unique position because we are not going to be recipients of funds. Instead, we are really trying to ensure the policy decisions are inclusive, effective, and that they leverage experience that we have. We need to make sure we lift those up, share that experience where relevant, get more data about how that works, but also look outside our borders. New Hampshire always likes to have an individual New Hampshire solution to things, but we can learn a lot and then tweak what we've seen works in other places to work for our environment. So um, I will say, I wish you always wish the process was more consultative, the process was more open, but we're constantly trying to balance the need to move money quickly and effectively with broad, authentic consultation, which can often take longer. So I look at it as my job as an advocate is I need to continue to ensure that we provide as much information that we can get from the groups and individuals we work with to make sure that is informing the decisions, but that we continue to ask for a broader process, which will involve those people that are most impacted by policy decisions, not as often mothers and families and those people who traditionally are left out of policy decisions. And I think one great, and I'm feeling Dutch me, one great policy change we've seen is this child tax credit. This has the potential to be transformative for families. That is going to start hitting um, direct deposit accounts on the 15th of July, $300 for a child under the age of six, and potentially $250 for a child from six to 17. We see this, or this is widely considered to be a huge test to what we can do for broad poverty alleviation. But this is exactly an example where we're finally giving power to families to make the spending decisions that work for them. And I think any groups that are working with families need to help and get that information about how are you using those dollars? What impact is that having on your families? Because that is one of those key policy levers that we're trying to get made permanent as we move 
um, as we move forward. Because right now, the CTC enhancements are only in for one year. Now, all of this is, it's its an incredible effort, incredible lift. If people want to get involved with supporting Moms Rising and the work that you do, how can they help support it? Well, I, you know, we are always just looking for folks to subscribe to our email list and to get better informed about the work we're doing. We are at www.momsrising, all one word, dot org. Um, that's a place you can come and sign up with our list. We're having an event. Um, we're having a number of events coming for this, this summer. We love to have events where you bring your family. One thing about Moms Rising is the advocacy work we're going to ask you to engage in. We're going to ask you to bring your kids. We're always going to have that frame. Moms Rising is the kind of organization that likes to proactively thank you for the great decisions you're making um, and try to keep you accountable that you, in fact, follow through. So we're going to have parties. We're going to have, you know, um, ice cream floats and talk about how the care economy keeps us afloat. We're going to be having some roundtables with the federal delegation. And, you know, we're going to have some song Routines with Mr. Aaron and Concord. So I ask you to please look us up at www.momsrising.org. Follow Moms Rising at Moms Rising on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. And that's where we're posting our events. But even if you don't, um, if you don't want to work with us, we're like, please find someone locally you can steward your voice. And most in most communities, there are family resource centers. And if you're working with them and decide you want to do more, they can also easily connect you with Moms Rising because we're all a piece of the pie and it's only in our work together are we really going to have the change we're looking for. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have an optimist on the, the podcast today. And I suppose, I, I don't know how you feel about alpacas, but I might have a few that I'm willing to sell you in the next couple of weeks. We'll definitely talk about it offline. Well, I appreciate you joining the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was really great. And um, thank you to everybody for all the work you've done. Enjoy your summer and, you know, know that we're on the cusp of some amazing opportunity. We got to seize it. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now.